afternoon and thanks to everyone for dialing in uh, to, to this afternoon's call. As Jeff would always say, WAM Capital is your company, so please feel free to ask any questions over the allotted time. And if we do run out of time, we'll endeavour to get back to you in the next couple of days personally. So today, on today's call, you've got myself, Lead Portfolio Manager, Oscar Oberg. You've got Tobias Yao, Portfolio Manager. We also have uh, Senior Equity Analyst, Sean Wyke and Sam Kosh, and Equity Analyst and Dealer, Will Thompson. Now, in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of how today will go, um, I'll spend some time on uh, the first slide talking about the dividends across all the four funds. I'll then talk about what, what's happened since we last spoke to you since March over the last six months. I'll pass it on to Tobias who talk about reporting season and the outlook that we see for small cap companies. We'll talk about some interesting stock ideas and then we'll, uh, we'll launch into questions and answers. So turning on, on to slide three, and I, I do want to spend some time here <laughs> to explain the profit that we have available to continue to fund dividends across the four funds that we manage being WAM Capital, WAM Research, WAM Active and WAM Microcap. Now, it's important here, and this is based off the questions we've got coming in uh, to the team, that we're going to focus on WAM Capital. And it's worth noting here that this, what I would say on WAM Capital for the next few minutes does apply to WAM Active as well. WAM Capital specifically, we've consistently paid a half-yearly dividend of around 7.75 cents a share over the last five years. Now, if you times that by two and annualise it, that's 15.5 cents a share. And this compares to the 16 cents a share that we have banked up in the profit reserve that you can see on the slide. Now, what this means is that we can fund the October 2023 dividend of 7.75 cents, the next dividend in April 2023, but only a small proportion, call it 0.5 of a cent, in April 2023. Now, continue, to continue to pay dividends, we need to keep building up and generating profit in what's called the profit reserve. Now, the profit reserve is a, is a fancy accounting term. Um, all you need really to know about it is, is it's simply the profit that the fund generates or WAM Capital generates over the financial year. So in the situation when the market goes up, our portfolio goes up, we generate profit that can be banked and then on the board's discretion, we can pay out a dividend that we send back to shareholders. Now, in the situation where the market goes down, our portfolio goes down, we generate unrealised losses. Now, in that situation, we don't bank any profit, and it, it, at, at, which is tough for us to pay, the, pay uh, to continue to generate profits to pay future dividends. Now, what we saw last year in last financial years was from around October 2021, over that nine-month period to 30th of June 2022, the market fell. And as I'll talk about later, we actually underperformed the market. So in that um, nine-month period, we weren't able to effectively generate profits uh, that we could pass on down to you as dividends. Now, pleasingly, since the new financial year has started, we, our performance has been good, our, uh, the market has been up, and our, our portfolio WAM capital is up over 10%. So we have been able to bank some more profit that we can pass on as dividends. But as you can see in that slide three, we're still, we're still quite short on that October 2023 dividend in 12 months' time. Now, the purpose of this call is not to scare everyone on the call. We're in the exact same position in July and uh, August of 2020 following COVID. So I guess my advice to you, I can't, I can't give financial advice, but I can give you this advice, is just to keep monitoring the net tangible asset um, updates that we give every month, keep monitoring the market and keep monitoring our performance on the market. 
So now turning on to on to the next slide, and I guess our, my review of the last six months, uh, we just had Russia invade Ukraine, uh, inflation concerns were starting to bite, and Australia was starting to open up from Omicron. Now, unfortunately, these concerns dragged on over the last six months. And what this meant was that riskiest small cap companies that we owned within WAM Capital underperformed and were sold off compared to what were perceived to be safer large cap companies in sectors such as financials, materials and energy, where we have a very, very small exposure to in the fund. To give, the, give an example, um, I used the company Elders, which had its half-year result uh, back in May. Now, Elders actually upgraded earnings expectations by over 30% at that result. Now, normally, we would see share price respond quite positively, and we did on day one. But I think a week or two later, the share price was down around 15 at least something the team hasn't seen for some time, where it was very difficult for our catalyst to work. Now, given the uncertainty that we saw in the market, small cap, cap companies underperformed large cap companies by the greatest margin since the global financial crisis. And this is the major contributor to the fact that we underperformed the market by 11% over the year. I guess if we could take a positive out of the year, though, we actually outperformed the small cap industrials index by over 5%. And we think the small cap industrial index is a fairer representation of the stocks that we actually invest in within WAM Capital. So I guess in summary, what I'm trying to say is our stock picking over this period was, was, was quite good. Now, over this uh, six-month period, we've stayed invested into the market. Our cash levels have stayed between 12 to 14%. Liquidity levels have remained high. And the reason why we've stayed into, in the market is because we're still very positive on, the, on our portfolio and the companies that we own. We're seeing very cheap, um, cheap valuations and we're seeing strong catalysts with the company, companies that we own that we can see generate a re-rating of the, of the share price over time. Now, on, on slide four of the presentation, we've included, we've tried to show just how cheap small companies have become, not just in Australia, but globally. And this is a chart that was done by uh, Bank of America, which shows you the valuation differential between small cap and large cap companies in the United States. Now, as you can see from the chart, I think we're currently at close to 1999 or 2000 lows. And I think that that chart, I think from memory, goes, goes from for about 35 years. So we're at 20 year lows now in terms of valuations. So in our view, we're seeing a lot of opportunities. We've remained in the market, as I said before. Um, we're seeing a lot of catalysts, a uh, lot of discounted um, companies trading below asset backing. Um, so we're very positive on the outlook for the stocks. We just need the market to come back to small cap companies. Now, look, I'll pass it on to um, Tobias Yao, who will give, give, give you all a review of reporting season and our outlook. Thanks, Oscar. Um, in this period of volatility, our focus continues to be um, bottom-up research and intensifying on our hands. So as an example, the investment team uh, traveled and met with over 150 companies in the US, UK, Singapore, New Zealand, and Perth uh, in June and July to find ideas. And we were able to find quite a few ideas like Webjet, uh, IDP Education, and Main Freight that positively contributed to our performance over the last few months. The recent reporting season was mixed um, with no real sector themes and small cap space. However, there were a few areas in the market that outperformed. Now, the first group of companies consisted of quality companies 
Um, and quality is defined by the track record of the management team, the robustness of the business model, and in the current environment, the ability to pass through cost pressures um, onto their end clients. The second group of companies consisted of companies with very strong balance sheets uh, that announced capital management initiatives such as buybacks, um, which is a signal to the market that the management team thinks the share price um, of these companies such as Umedia is undervalued by the market. Mining services companies also outperformed uh, during the, reporting, uh, the last reporting season as they had strong visibility of their revenue and contracts and the valuation continues to be very attractive. And the final group of companies that outperformed are some of the beaten up tech companies that were able to uh, announce more favorable cost or revenue such as Temple and Webster. As always, we've had our fair share of detractors such as DGL and Redbubble, but um, it's pleasing to say that we've had more winners uh, than detractors. And as a team, we are very pleased with the performance uh, of all of our funds over the last two months. So going forward, our portfolio is quite balanced. You know, we continue to favor companies with strong balance sheets uh, and strong management teams that we believe will be able to best navigate what continues to be an uncertain environment. Um, and, you know, we're pretty excited about some of the ideas that we have in the portfolio to deliver performance over the next 12 months. So next, the team will be uh, pitching our top ideas uh, over the next six months. Uh, and I'll kick it, off, we'll kick it off with AMP. Now, Jeff's mantra has always been buying a dollar for 80 cents. And AMP is currently trading at a 20% discount to its NTA um, post the investments which they have announced. So there is valuation support uh, from the get-go. And at the same time, there's a billion dollars of buyback over the next 18 months that should support the share price. Longer term, if the management can execute according to their plan, then there's a turnaround in the wealth management business uh, post the uh, right-sizing of the cost base. And you also get a banking business that is growing at above market rate. Now I'd like to pass it to Sean Wyke, uh, senior equity analyst, for his ideas. Thanks, mate. Yeah, so my idea today is uh, NRW Holdings. And long story short, we think mining services is back. Uh, the FY22 result beat the top end of management guidance in what were you know, very, very challenging conditions for the sector, driven by the impacts that COVID you know, are having on labour movements. However, going forward, we believe the worst is behind the sector, and this is being underpinned by continued margin recovery, which began to really materialise in the earnings throughout the second half of FY22. Looking out into FY23, we think there's upside to the guidance. They've got strong visibility over the revenue profile within the mining and minerals businesses. And we believe the construction business is strongly positioned to be benefit from the ramp up in iron ore capex spend amongst the majors uh, into the next couple of years. The balance sheet's net cash and is trading on a very compelling valuation of around 10 times price to earnings multiple, which provides optionality for capital management or M&A down the road. So we, we, we like that one within the space. I'll now hand it over to Sam. Thanks, Sean. <clears throat> Our next high conviction stock pick is Hub24. The ticker is HUB. And it's a specialist platform provider that provides platform services to the financial advice industry and it's held across WAM Capital and WAM Active. Now, Hub have made a number of strategic acquisitions over the last couple of years. 
that have really enhanced their platform capability, especially relative to its peers. We believe that this enhancement will drive an acceleration organic growth for the business and are quite bullish on that medium term. Hub is trading at about a 20 to 25% discount to its closest listed peer net wealth, despite offering a higher growth rate and better functionality for their customer base. We believe that the catalyst to close that gap will be quarterly flow updates and earnings upgrades. I'll now pass on to Will for his stock idea. So the stock idea I have today is Close the Loop Group, CLG. Close the Loop sits in our micro cap portfolio. It's about 150 mil market cap. Closer Loop uh, aims to use resource recycling, so taking in plastics from different landfill and using it to actually create its own packaging. So close the loop between recycling and packaging. They reported a really strong result in the in the last result, FY22, and beat our expectations. And we're really impressed with management when we caught up with them last week. We think they've got the ability to grow both organically and through acquisitions into FY23. And we think it's a really um, strong sector at the moment. There's a lot of capital flowing in and we'll see lots more of investment. And I think they're at the forefront of the innovation there. Well, th- thanks, Will. And thanks, thanks, guys, for all your insights. So um, now we're going to um, pass, ask as many questions as you like. I'll pass it on to you, Camilla. Thanks, Oscar. The first question is actually for you. This one's from Anne. He says, shareholders were advised some months ago that because of the WAM capital acquisition activity, the share price was likely to fall in the short term. It fell from two thirty to about $1.80. Why has it remained at that level? Yeah, th- thanks for the question, Anne. It's a good, it's a, you know, we're, we're all uh, shareholders in WAM capital too, so we're not happy where the share price is. But look, I can, gi- I can give reasons for that. So at the time we, we, we had announced the um, acquisition of uh, WIC and, and Ausgrowth. Um, we thought there would be selling pressure uh, following uh, that acquisition, like we saw with the Mason takeover. I think we probably, it'd be fair to say, probably underestimated how, how large that selling pressure would be. But I think the main difference really um, to what we saw with the Mason or previous takeovers was the market fell quite sharply. And I think at the time, Around April, WAM Capital was trading at around 30% premium to its net tangible assets. At the moment, we're trading at a 20% premium to net tangible assets. So the share price has fallen from 230 to 180 because the portfolio has fallen. But I think what's more important is that the premium has shrunk. So it's gone from 30% to 20%. You know, why is why is that the case? Well, firstly, look, as I said earlier, we underperformed the market. Uh, locks have been out of favour to large cap stocks, and but I think more importantly, as I tried to discuss at the beginning of the presentation, you know we can fund the next twelve, the next two dividends, but the October twenty twenty three dividend, as it stands today, is, you know we've only got a small proportion of that dividend to fund. So um, I think that that would be my answer. Uh, thanks, Camilla. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, we'll go to you now. This one is from Theo. He says the annual report for WAM Active stated that it was a quiet period for corporate transactions. Do you anticipate this activity increasing in the coming months? Yeah, thanks, Camilla. Um, look, thank, thank you for the question, Theo. Um, it's definitely been pretty quiet with the volatility in the market. Um, we've seen a couple of transactions, uh, notable transactions in the portfolio, including uh, car sales and IPH um, in, in terms of acquisitions. You know, we, and we've seen inbound M&A 
um, for a couple of tech companies, beating down technology companies. You know, we think as the market stabilizes over the next, you know, period, there will be potentially more corporate transactions. Um, you know, um, a lot of private equity funds uh, have raised money and, you know, are ready to deploy capital into the market. Um, so, you know, we think that could actually, um, the number of activities could actually go up. I think as well, like what's interesting is, um, you know, compare this period to, say, the global financial crisis as well. Like, Balance sheets are very, very strong. So it's around half of the portfolio WAM capital has is is either net cash, or in other words, it has more cash than the debt, um, and also or has more property than the debt it has on the balance sheet. So it's a vastly different period that we see compared to the global financial crisis. So we think as Australian companies certainly have have firepower for acquisitions or for buybacks, which was, is has been a record level of buybacks this year that we saw at the reporting season. So that's one of the big reasons we've stayed invested in the market over the last six months, despite the volatility that we've seen. Thanks, Oscar. Thanks, Tobias. Sean, we'll go over to you now. This one is from Sam. He's asked, when is the right time to be bullish on the consumer sector? Thanks, Camille, and thanks uh, for, for the question, Sam. I guess in general, we're underwrite the retail sector at the moment, given concerns over the impact that rising inflation and, and interest rates will have on budgets looking into calendar year 23. And, you know, you've also got the impacts, I suppose, of, of declining wealth effects as house prices come off. Uh, the other theme we're also seeing out there, which was certainly evident within my US trip uh, back in June, which seems like a lifetime ago, was really the shift from goods to services is accelerating. Um, but, I mean, with this in mind, valuations have retraced and we have maintained positions in those companies we think, I guess, have duration or longevity in their growth profiles. Um, and also strong balance sheets to capitalise on, you know, weaker industry conditions, as Oscar mentioned. So, you know, examples here would be fast fashion jewellery retail LaVisa, which in, in my view was the standout result of reporting season. We think the markets continue to underestimate both the pace and I suppose the duration of the store rollout opportunity there, along with the operating leverage that will accrue medium term. You know, you look at Premier Investments, it's got a substantial net cash position, um, we think that provides optionality around capital management and M&A, which is a potential catalyst at the upcoming result in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, we've also got smaller holdings in, in companies such as Plus Size Retailer City Sheet, where we think, you know, the management team is very strong and well positioned to navigate a tougher environment. Um, and Discount Retailer Meyer is, a, is another example too. So, yeah, all in all, we think there's selective opportunities to deploy, you know, capital within the retail space and consumer space. But, um, yeah, as a broad bush theme, we are we are underwrite the sector. Thanks, Sean. Oscar, we'll go back to you now. This one is from Adrian. He's asked, is WAM still invested in DGL following its negative results? And what's your view on the company? Yeah, I mean, as Tobias mentioned before, we do sometimes get a few things wrong. Who would have thought? Um, <laughs> lots of things wrong, as I should say. Um, that company was a strong performer for us in the first half of the financial year. It was one of our best stocks in the microcap fund. Um, look, unfortunately, we, um, you know, probably was a, probably became a victim of its own success, really. The share price probably went a lot higher than what it should have. We probably didn't sell enough, it would be fair to say. Um, and then we owned, owned basically the, the, the stock because it did very well in both funds, WAM Capital, WAM Micro. So when the sell-off did occur, um, we added to the position, so it was a decent holding. In terms of what the business does, it's, it's, a, it's effectively a waste uh, services company. 
roll-up style company where it's acquiring a number of businesses and using its its uh, elevated share price to generate e- earnings accretive acquisitions. And I think it was fair to say what we totally underestimated on the business was how many tailwinds it had from the agricultural sector in the last 12 months. And they gave weaker than expected guidance. The cash flow was weak. Um, <clears throat> so we exited the company. Uh, so we no longer own shares in it. Thanks, Oscar. We've got another one from Adrian. This one's actually for Sam. He's asked, what's your view on MAF? Do you still think it's a strong buy? Thanks, Adrian. Um, we, aren't, uh, we aren't shareholders anymore in, in MAF. It was a holding back in sort of the back end of last calendar year and we reduced it um, as the market uncertainty picked up at the start of this, this calendar year. Um, obviously, the valuation has come back to a more reasonable level at this stage. However, there's been recent news about the um, how long the, the special investor program will will continue into the future, and that's a large chunk of their assets under management at this stage. So I think that will really create noise around the company and the share price in the short to medium term that that um that you know we're not going to be taking a part of. So at this stage we're not shareholders. We're keeping tabs on the business, but um appreciate your question. Thanks, Sam. Oscar, we'll jump back to you. This one's from Wayne. He says, if you view your target stocks as cheap, why do you have over 10% cash in the fund? It's a good question. Um, look, I mean, clearly, I think we're about 12% today in cash in capital, about the same in WAN microcap. So that would be on the low side relative to history. Um, in terms of how we managed it really since, I guess, COVID hit us in, in March or April 2020, that's probably about pretty consistent really since that point point in time. We obviously went to cash through COVID. Um, that gives, we feel that gives us flexibility. Um, we have gone lower than 10% before in reporting season. We're very happy to go uh, below 10% when we see uh, strong ideas. Um, and I guess, yeah, it's just a reflection of if we're seeing ideas or companies that fit our investment process, we'll buy more of them um, uh, if, if, they're, if they're undervalued and cheap. So, yeah, look, I mean, it could, we, our cash levels do fluctuate every day. Um, but, yeah, I'd say we wouldn't rule it out going less than 10% if the, if the valuations can, um, are maintained. And more importantly, we're seeing um, process. So it's just where we are with that, with that level. Thanks, Oscar. Will, we've got one for you. It's from another Will. He's asked, what is the team's view on the energy sector, in particular coal and uranium equities? Thanks, Will. Um, look, I'm not going to be able to add much value on what's happening to the oil price given on the back of the Ukraine war and, and Russia and what's happening in Europe. Obviously, that's created quite a big supply shock. But I think it's a continuation of the thing. We've seen significant underinvestment in the sector for quite a while, and it's creating opportunities, even if you know the Russia-Ukrainian war was to end tomorrow. Um, it's still going to be quite constructive for energy prices. We We... And are not going away from, I guess, what we like to invest in, in the WAM Capital Fund. So we look for things with catalysts, with valuation support, and that, and that can potentially re-rate in the future. Um, Karoon is one. We've seen that perform really well in the energy sector. Stanmore's done really well um, buying BHP ash that's really cheaply. Um, and then the uranium sector. Look, we like Boss Resources and Paladin. They've performed really well and should be producing within the next couple of years. Um, so, look, we're, we're still looking for stocks which we think, you know, have the right catalyst um, and it's quite a constructive sort of area at the moment, the energy sector. 
And we're also looking at stocks that are, you know, derivatives or I suppose beneficiaries of that. So one of our, you know, larger holdings is Wally Parsons. I mean, the disruption that's been created in, in Ukraine has created significant um, you know, opportunities for them as, as global supply lines essentially readjust to, you know, Russia being out of the market. Um, and, you know, they're also in a position to, you know, continue to, to assist companies in that green transition. So, yeah, we, we are actively looking at and, and monitoring the space and, and playing where we see opportunities that fit our process. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Sean. Tobias, we'll go to you now. This one is from Sam, and he's after your thoughts on Bubs. Yeah, thanks, Sam. But Bubs is one um, which we think there's potentially very high upside, obviously, without it's not without risks. Um, we initially invested in Bubs on the back of our view that, you know, the, the China strategy is looking, um, you know, um, very positive. Um, and, you know, the rollout of their brands and they've launched two, two new brands to their in, initial gold infant formula um, product um, could be very attractive for consumers in China. Um, then they positively surprised the market by going into the U.S. Now, if they are able to have a little bit of success in the U.S., you know, that is a very material sort of revenue and profit uh, for the business, given the size of Bubs. So we, so we are waiting for um, the execution and getting more data points on how they're going in the U.S. Um, so far, I think they've already entered into over 6,000 stores in the U.S., which is um, quite an effort considering it's only been a couple of months uh, since they've been in the U.S., so so now we're just waiting for sell-through data and hopefully, you know, if they can execute and, you know, run the right marketing campaign, then, you know, they, they're able to therefore um, generate strong revenue and profit growth from the U.S. Uh, as well as China. Thanks, Tobias. Sam, this one is from Bill and he's asked about your view on technology stocks. Thanks, Camilla. <laughs> and thanks, Bill. A very topical question for sure at the moment. Um, from, our, from our perspective, we've always been highly selective in the technology space. If you go back at previous webinars, uh, many of us would have said that, you know, very highly selective, but also with the belief that valuations at those times were quite full. What we've seen now is that valuations have come back um, to a much more attractive and, and, and much more reasonable levels. The biggest trend that we noticed outside uh, during reporting season over the last couple of months is that it's really those it's really those technology companies that have control of their P&L, which are starting to outperform. And what I mean by that is control of their cost base um, and, and, and pathway to profitability without impacting their revenue growth. So the fund has actually benefited from a number of those stocks recently. Temple and Webster is an example and Tyro is another example of that, um, that the fund has benefited from. So in conclusion, we remain highly selective Valuations have come back to more reasonable levels. Um, and, and to be honest, I think that's it's really been proven by the fact that private equity interest has picked up recently with the, um, the <laughs> private equity bid, Nitro and, and Tyro. Thanks, Sam. Will, this one is for you and it's from Luke. He wants to know if there are any interesting IPOs on the team's radar. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, there are. It's actually quite an interesting sort of time for the IPOs. I think um, we did like nearly 20 in the same half last year and then um, this year we've done one um, and that's going to be listing next month. It's called LGI Group. Um, it's a really interesting company. They they take um, methane gas from landfill, so like your average council land, landfill, they, they drew holes into there, take the methane ga gas out, turn it into a biofuel 
and then burn that biofuel to put it uh, to create energy and put back into the mains powers. So it's quite an interesting company, sort of solving that sort of ESG um, problems that we're seeing. Methane gas is, I think, it's, 20, uh, it's over 25 times worse for the, the environment than um, carbon dioxide is. And then interestingly, the companies that can do that earn carbon credits, and the carbon credits are, you know, we've seen. Um, recently, those trading quite well, and, and it's an interesting space. So that, that is one coming up, but we are being very selective in the IPOs we look at. And to be honest, there hasn't been a lot come to market just yet. Thanks, Will. Oscar, this one is for you, and it's from Walter. He says he's seen your recent comments on Maya, and he's wondering if you're still positive on the company. Yeah, we are. It's been a long investment. Um, but, yeah, we were actually making good money on it now. Um, so I think it was, where it was 65 cents or something like that. So management team's done a fantastic job, really. Like if they weren't there, who knows where the, the, the company would be. Um, <clears throat> well, they're now getting the benefit of, of um, everyone opening up. So the big detractor for the business were the, the three CBD stores, two in Melbourne, one in Sydney. Starting to see international travel. Um, and, and foot traffic return to the stores. Their online business has held up really well. And you're starting to see that operating leverage and earnings come through given they had taken out a lot of costs. Um, that was before COVID. That was one of the re- reasons why we bought the business initially back in when was it, um, mid-2018. Um, so, yeah, I think the management team's done a fantastic job. Balance sheet's great. Net cash, likely to pay a very good dividend at the result. I think it's uh, this week um, or early next week. So, yeah, still very, very positive on the business. Thanks, Oscar. Sean, this question's for you and it's from Sam. He says that companies such as LaVisa have performed well due to earnings resilience from exposure to younger consumers who are less exposed to increased cost of living. Is this a theme you're seeing across a number of companies and do you see this performance continuing in an uncertain economic backdrop? Yeah, thanks, Miller, and and thanks for the question, Sam. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the younger demographics clearly got less exposure to, to housing and, and rising interest rates. Unfortunately, that's reality, you know, particularly in Australia. So, yeah, we, we are positioned, you know, around those companies that, you know, we think the demand profile will, you know, I suppose, prove more resilient. We think LaVisa fits into that bucket. Another stock we like, there's Universal um, Stores as well. So yeah, yeah. To summarise, that's that's our view on that space. We um we are seeing evidence of that. The reject shop would be another one we think where consumers will increasingly seek out value. It's gone through a two-year period where it's been heavily impacted by COVID, given it's a store-based retailer. But you know, coming out the back of that now, we um we think that looks very attractive with a buyback in place and you know on a on a low single-digit PE. Thanks, Sean. Will, this one is from Alice. Uh, she says, I read in a recent WAM newsletter you attended Diggers and Dealers in WA. How many companies did you meet with and what was the overall sentiment from the companies at the conference? Oh, the, the sentiment depends on the commodity, but we met with probably, I was like 200 to, to 300 companies over the, the whole time. There was about 3,000 people there. It was the first time since sort of the pandemic that people from the East Coast could go over. Um, in terms of the gold stocks, the because the, traditionally it is a gold um, conference. However, there's more lithium uh, creeping in now. Um, the gold stocks were sort of, the sentiment wasn't great just because of the labour pressures they've had over in Western Australia um, and also the supply chain issues. Um, so, but we still sort of, there's a couple of stocks we really liked in Emerald Resources, which we own in WAM Capital, and then PDI, Predictive Resources, which we own in the Microcap Fund. Both are kind of not as exposed to the Australian labour market 
Um, PDI is still drilling out. It looks like it's got a you know quite a big resource. Um, Emerald's got some really exciting um, drill results, hopefully coming out soon around the bullseye asset. And then um, sentiment on the lithium stocks was very bullish. And as you can tell by the, or if you, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the, you know, the, bull, the, the lithium stocks have been flying recently. Um, and we were sort of able to meet with a couple of companies and really get a, um, a good view of the supply and demand that's happening there. Because it, it's sort of been, everyone has, does have questions over what's happening in the lithium market. And I think everyone sort of came away a bit more constructive than um, when they went in. And yeah, I mean, I, I attended along with Will and on the services, the mining services side of things. I mean, sentiment was diabolical. <laughs> um, you know, people couldn't have been, you know, more pessimistic on the space, at least amongst other investors, which is what we felt created a really strong opportunity in these names that were trading on, you know, very compelling valuations. They were priced for nothing. They'd been put in the sin bin for two years. People would rather own you know, the direct commodities as opposed to the derivatives being the services companies. But we could see that the worst was starting to be behind these companies. The labour issues were easing, contract mechanisms were resetting and, you know, more reflective of the environment going forward. The overall, I I guess, conclusion we drew was that the margin profiles had bottomed and improved from here and revenue visibility was strong from the commodity players. So, yeah, we actually, um, you know, used that, that opportunity to dial up a number of positions around around the conference, and they've performed very well around reporting season. Thanks. Can I just add something, Camille, if you don't mind? Like, I mean, yeah. one one of the things we've noticed is, you know, as as the borders have opened up, there's a real, there's been a great opportunity for us to do a lot of travelling, which we really haven't done for the last two and a half years. Um, so we really did hit the ground, particularly in that June period where, you know, it was a really tough time in the market. It was a shocking time to market, to be fair. Um, so with the UK trip, US trip, diggers and deals, like we, we saw a lot of companies face-to-face. And the interesting thing we are seeing is a lot of our competitors aren't yet doing face-to-face meetings. They're still doing Zoom meetings. So we do think it's a competitive advantage for us. And a lot of our good ideas uh, came that we see in the portfolio today did come through that June and early July period when we were on the road. So we will be on the road quite a lot in the coming months. Um, we do think that's the advantage the team's got. Thanks, Oscar. I'll actually just stay with you. Um, you did touch on this a bit earlier, but if you could add some thoughts. Um, Ashok has asked, will the interest rate hikes have an impact on a small cap portfolio? So, yeah, I mean, Ashok, this is a great question and thanks for it. I mean, look, if you, you looking back in hindsight and it's, you know, you, you sort of at the end of the financial year, you sort of scratch your head and we've underperformed quite a bit and you sort of go, well, you know, what what did we, what could we have done better? Um, you know, we did think that the, a lot of, of the inflation we were starting to see was transitory and was COVID related. So we thought that at the time when um, Omicron hit that, um, well, sorry, before Omicron hit, I should say, Delta, when Delta hit was coming off, okay, we'd opened up and a lot of that inflation stuff off. And we never owned, really owned technology companies at all. It was just a lot of the consumer discretionary companies that got hit hard. Why did they, and I guess you sort of look back on that and you go, well, yeah, it would have been nice to have a lower exposure there and probably have higher cash. Now, those companies got absolutely smashed from around November, well, November to June. And um, the big reason why they fell was because um, the market was looking forward and looking at interest rate uh, expectations and looking where they are now. And you know, we'll wait to see what the United States does tonight. But, you know, likelihood is we're looking at sort of close to 8% uh, CPI. So, Long-winded way of answering your question, but yes, that's a big reason why small cap companies have been hit. 
50% of the small caps that we look at are exposed to the consumer in some way, retail, housing, property developers, automotive, right? So, but, okay, we come back to it, but the share prices have fallen a lot and they've and these interest rates are factored in. Now, what we think that's interesting as we look forward is at the moment, a lot of the forward curves for interest rates are starting to plateau and in some instances are coming down. Now, if you get a situation where you know that does occur, that'll be very, very positive for small cap companies. So look, long-winded way of answering the question. Um, we do think those higher interest rates are now factored into the share prices given they've fallen so much. And that is a big reason um, why we, we still invest in the market and we still, still see a whole heap of opportunities in front of us as we look forward. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, Tobias, you touched on a few names. Maybe if you want to add some thoughts or summarise. Sarah's asked, what have been the notable detractors in the recent period? Yeah, but I mean, Oscar's talked about um, DGL. I mean, I, can, I guess I'll, I'll put another one out. Um, uh, we had a holding in Redbubble, which is a, a online a marketplace. Um, and... Um, the reason we got that wrong was when the management announced the results, um, they actually included an additional uh, sort of quite a sizable cost investment, which surprised the market to the downside. Um, as, as Sam mentioned earlier, a lot of the technology companies that we were investing in that had high short interest, um, you know, we were hoping in the current environment that the, you know, the business model and the management team, um, you know, um, was able to, to have a bit more flexibility in the business model such that they could actually reduce costs. And that's a that's a positive or favorable catalyst for the share price. In this case, we got the catalyst wrong. Um, it felt like they needed to spend more money for their own turnaround. And, uh, and as a result, the stock price um, came off pretty soon. That's probably another one, um, one of the key detractors in the reporting season. Thanks, Tobias. Um, Oscar, we've got another question from Ashok. He th- he's asked, do you think you have enough exposure to mining stocks in the small and mid-cap portfolios? Thanks, Ashok. Um, yeah, look, we've, we do at the moment. I mean, we don't count ourselves as, um, you know, if you look at the history of WAM Capital, mining's always been a very, very small exposure in, in, in the fund. And at the moment, the mining companies would sit at around th- probably about 3 or 4% of the company, of, of the fund. Now, we have increased the exposure over the last two years, and I wouldn't say that's just because you know mining shares have gone very well over this period. It's more we have the expertise. So Will, as, you, as who's spoken previously today, he talked about always oh, talked about energy and um, and, Co- and, and um, a number of other commodities. Cooper's not here today, but both Cooper and Will have experience in past jobs and past lives with the resources sector. So as Tobias and I are sort of leading the team, we think that'd be mad not to utilise that. Um, that expertise, and for these reasons, the guys have put in some um, stocks in the, in the portfolio. But with the team, we do see our skills set in, in industrial companies. And as Sean has, has talked about previously, um, we have a huge, we have a big exposure to mining services, um, number of companies, and that's generally the way we like to play the mining sector. And that's that was a big reason why we're quite happy with our, how we've gone in the first couple of months of, of this financial year because that sector's done very, very well. Yeah, I mean, and we, we've got a number of exposed across that space. I mean, we've touched on a few, but, you know, ALS is is one that we continue to like here. NRW, uh, Parenti, we think's um, well positioned. Uh, and then we've also got a holding in in Seven Group, uh, which has exposure rights, West Track Business. So they're just a few examples of, of how we're playing the space. 
Sam, this one is for you. It's from Lance, who's asked, does the team still hold Dusk and what are your views on the company? Thanks, Lance. Yes, we do. We still own shares in Dusk. Um, we think Peter's doing an excellent job in, in, in managing the business and executing in a really tough environment. Um, what we're attracted to there is obviously the store rollout potential both in Australia, New Zealand and longer term offshore, should that be pursued in the UK. In the, in the short to medium term, you've, you've got this, as, as Sean alluded to earlier, this substitution away from goods towards services, and that will obviously impact dusk in, in the immediate short term, especially with housing uncertainty and a weaker consumer. So we're conscious of that risk and we're, we're sizing the investment accordingly. But at the same time, you know, we're bullish longer term on dusk. So, yes, we're still a, we're still a shareholder. And to that point, I mean, valuations, uh, it's it's in a single-digit PA, so valuation screening attractive. And, you know, they've generated such a significant amount of cash throughout this COVID period that the balance sheet looks looks very strong as well. So, yeah, we, we're comfortable there. Thanks, guys. Oscar, back to you. Um, does the team still like EHL for the short to medium term? And how can the business create further value for shareholders, in your opinion? So we still like the business, but we don't own it. Um, unfortunately, it's done very well, um, So, which was a shame because we, we have owned it a couple of times over the last three or four years. But, you know, the stars have finally aligned for it. Um, but we, we really rate the management team. The stock is very, very cheap. I think our board's done a really good job, really, at, at buying back shares, um, position the company in terms of, uh, free cash flow generation and dividends. So in the business right now, as Sean said, we've got a number of other exposures. Um, but, yeah, it does, given where coal prices are at the moment, it's probably one of the best ways to play it. Thanks, Oscar. Sam, back to you. This one's from Neil. He's asked, what companies are you looking at in the building and construction sectors? Thanks, Neil. Another very topical question. Um, I guess the sector has been heavily beaten up. You know, everyone's worried about the macro uncertainty with with housing market falling off a cliff and, and the likes. Um, we're actually seeing a number of really interesting opportunities. Um, we're we're positive on CSR Group and and Mars Group, which we've we've talked to in the past. Both of which actually have significant property holdings, which underpin their valuations and have a strong order books as well, which will drive you know stable earnings over the next few years. You know, we've been looking at uh, Borrell, which is part of our, you know, seven group holding. That's been significantly impacted by COVID and by, um, you know, wet weather. And so we see earnings, you know, bouncing back in that business. And also Reese, you know, a high quality business that we've talked to in the past. We've always looked for an attractive entry point and there's no better one than when everyone's worried about the housing market. So we're seeing a number of really interesting opportunities given the macro uncertainty. Thanks, Sam. Sean, this one is for you. It's from Joe, uh, who says there are continual impacts on international and domestic travel, in particular airlines under pressure due to understaffing and they're cancelling flights. Are you positive on the travel sector? Yeah, overall we are positive on the travel and entertainment sector. I guess despite emerging consumer pressures, we think that the revenge spending continues um, and, and consumers continue to allocate more of their spend towards you know, services and travel over goods. So, you know, the key stocks we like in the space are online OTA and B2B beds, um, distributed uh, Webjet. We believe they've made significant structural improvements in their business model that, you know, will underpin market share gains and, and the operating leverage will deliver earnings, 
you know, well in excess of pre-COVID as as we uh, move through the other side. And then we, we also like sort of, I guess, the derivative plays on that. I mean, IDP education is a significant beneficiary of, you know, travel and borders reopening. We think there's, I guess, some, you know, non-fundamental issues weighing on that or, or factors weighing on that business with the CEO exit and, and escrow arrangements um, from the universities. But, you know, the policy settings couldn't be better. Um, all of their key destination markets are, are, are very on the front foot encouraging migration. And, you know, the digital strategy is just starting to yield benefits now. So, yeah, we do think, you know, you do have to be selective in the space, but there are a couple we like. You know, we own some event entertainment, some tourism holdings, you know, experience codes, like types of businesses that will benefit from international and, and, and domestic travel continue to open up. Thanks, Sean. Oscar, Dominic has asked, has the WAM Capital portfolio been reviewed for excessive income risks with inflation projected to increase even further? Thanks, Dominic. Yeah, constantly reviewed would be... Um, uh, it's basically all we do, really, in terms of analysing the numbers. I mean, as Tobias touched on, what we're really focused on is trying to find the best companies that can pass on the cost of inflation through higher prices, um, given their market positioning or their importance to customers and so forth. So that, for us, is when we're looking at companies, that is the number one thing that we're, that we're, we're looking at, really. Um, as we said, look, we're very confident in the portfolios that stands today. Just on the inflation, just... we're trying to look forward um it's we feel that we're at peak levels right now um so we're sort of trying to work out where things are in six to 12 months time because that to us feels like it's that's the most interesting part we are seeing a lot of the you know key things that we were talking about in inflation 12 months ago like freight rates um you know we're seeing like a lot of the labor availability and so forth that was an issue about six months ago starting to free up a little bit have come down. Um, so we're fascinating to see what the Consumer Price Index release will be tonight in the United States. But our feeling and the work we've done suggests that things are starting to come off a little bit. And as I said that earlier, if we get a situation like that and we get stability, that'll be very positive for the small cap companies that we look at across the funds. Thanks, Oscar. Sean, uh, Alexander's asked, what's the team's view on A2 Milk? Thanks. Thanks, Alexander. Yeah, A2 Milk, always a, a very topical one. Um, yeah, we actually ha have bought some shares coming out of the FY22 result. You know, we thought it was, um, you know, a, a very, you know, I guess, clean set of numbers in the context of them taking their medicine around inventory, um, which they needed to do. So going forward, I mean, they've guided to high single-digit revenue growth and, and a bit of operating leverage. We think that looks um, very achievable. Um, and the balance sheet's very strong. I mean, they've got a billion dollars in in net cash on the balance sheet. Um, they've initiated a $150 million buyback, with, which starts in a couple of weeks. So that, that's sort of the next catalyst we're looking for there. And, and short interest still remains reasonably elevated, this one at 4%. So, you know, there's still scope for um, for incremental buying to move in. So, yeah, we're actually um, we're positive on, on that one from here. Thanks, Sean. Oscar, this one is from Leon. He's asked, can you comment on WAM Capital's result suffering from its small cap exposure and did WAM micro cap experience similar sector headwinds? Thanks, Leon. So um, I guess when we look at WAM Capital, the I guess 
the the issue it can be good some years it can be bad some years but the issue we've really had for the last since probably about 2016 is that what we invest in doesn't marry up with our index so we invest in small cap industrial companies largely as i said mining is a very small part of the portfolio call it three percent but our benchmark is the all ordinaries index now to put that into context i think bhp is around buys about 10 percent into the index so BHP, Rio Tinto, Fortescue, and the four big banks that we don't own is, I'm throwing out some numbers here, probably about 30, 35% of the index. And they were the companies that investors bought over that over the market uncertainty, which is fair enough. They're large companies. They pay great dividends. Um, they've been around for a very long time, so they're perceived as safe. So that is the reason, largely, and as I said earlier, if our stock picking was bad, we wouldn't have outperformed the small cap benchmark. Um, but, however, no matter how good our stock picking was, we were always going to underperform last year. Now, what I can assure you for everyone listening is that when the reverse occurs, I will tell you on the on the, on the call um, that we've had a benefit uh, from effectively small cap companies going up and the large cap companies going down. Now, we haven't seen that for some time. But it will happen, and we've seen that over. We've seen that cycle occur ever since WAM Capital started. So that's explain WAM Capital. Now, on WAM Microcap, we don't really have the problem. We invest in small cap companies, and our benchmark is the Small Ordinaries Index. And like like WAM Capital, we we are underweight uh, mining companies. Um, despite that, um, we outperformed the uh, Small Ordinaries Index for the fifth year in a row. I think it was two two to three percent or something. I don't, I don't know how we did that, but we did. You wouldn't say that was a good result for investors, but look, we did what we could. So that's the difference between WAM Capital. WAM Capital, we're in small cap companies, but a large cap weighted benchmark. In WAM Micro Cap, small cap companies, uh, we invest in a small cap uh, weighted benchmark. And I think just to add to what Oscar been talking about, the um, you know, during this period of volatility for us, it's all about sticking to our investment process, which we've, mm-hmm. we've had over since the um, inception of WAM Capital. Um, and so we want to stick to what we're good at, which is catalyst-driven stock ideas and bottom-up research, um, and which is, explains why um, sort of our decisions. That, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, you know, I, I think if we, if we came to the 30th of June and you saw our annual report and we were invested in BHP mm-hmm. and Commonwealth Bank and... Um, we had all these mining stocks. If I if I was an investor, I'd be worried because that's not our skill set. Um, as much as we would have loved to have done that over the last six months, it was something we, we chose not to do, um, which you could argue has probably hurt us in the from a performance perspective But in, in that financial year 2022. But over the longer term, which is what we're, we're all here for, um, we think this investment, well, we know this investment process will outperform. And as Tobias said earlier, We've had a great start to the year. All funds are out, outperforming. We're very happy how we're going. If you get a situation, the market turns back to small caps and large cap stocks are sold in favour of small cap companies, we should do very well. Thanks, Oscar. Thanks, Tobias. Will, you mentioned before that lithium has had a recent surge. George has asked, what's the team's view on this surge? Um, well, it's been pretty crazy, to be honest. Um and it's really interesting because you've seen all the banks come out. I think Baron Joey came out yesterday. Um, you had, I think it was Goldman Sachs updated last week. They've all been updating their supply and demand models. 
and, and it just keeps getting higher and higher, their price expectations. And they've all sort of been saying, you know, FY24, likely to see prices coming down, and then they've pushed that out. They actually pushed it out last week. Um, so it's been crazy. We've, we've, we have a couple of um, positions, uh, but we're watching cautiously because, you know, that on one side you've got the supply, which, um, you know, a lot of the resources companies that um, have been trying to get to market have been a bit slower than everyone's expecting, which has been supporters of the price. And then the demand has been crazy in the, in the face of, you know, consumer sort of demand weakening a little bit. You've still got governments subsidising, especially in China, um, EU, they've got a high penetration rate and, 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 and you've got this whole ESG movement which is supporting it. Um, but, you know, we're watching cautiously because it can change very quickly. And we are, we are conscious that um, there's quite a bit of speculation happening in that pocket of the market. Like if you look at, you know, platforms like Hot Copper and whatnot, it, it does feel like it's a sector that there's a lot of retail money in. Um, so, yeah, we are conscious as to, you know, where valuations have got on some of these stocks, particularly the developers and the exposure that they have around, you know, I guess elevated cost profiles with labour and, and raw materials and whatnot. So we've seen a number of, you know, I guess DFSs and whatnot see significant, you know, upgrades to the CapEx requirements given that. So, yeah, definitely preferring the, the, the producing plays. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Will. Oscar, uh, what's the team's view on healthcare at the moment? Are you invested in CAJ and HLA? Uh, that's from Adrian. Yeah, well, we like the healthcare space at the moment, largely because it's been beaten up over the last six to 12 months, simply as we've come out of uh, COVID and come out of Omicron. There's been a lot of sick leave. There's been a lot of staff absenteeism, staff going on holidays and so forth. It's really uh, two companies that we like there is Capital Health, which is a diagnostic uh, imaging or X-ray um, uh, company focused there in Victoria. It's done a large acquisition recently, which was uh, highly uh, accretive. Uh, we also like Healthier, uh, which is basically an aggregation of podiatry and physiotherapy and optometry uh, companies. It's the X Green Cross Management. It's a very highly successful uh, roll-up or acquisition strategy of, of vet, vet practices. Um, so those two companies, they've been hit, the, both those companies have been hit pretty hard over the last six, 12 months. They've got clear air, balance sheets are good, making acquisitions, and we think the, the valuations will re-rate over time. Thanks, Oscar. Now, WAM Capital has engaged in a number of takeovers, with the most recent being West Oz and Oz Growth. What are some of the benefits you're seeing in these takeovers, and are there any more in the future? Yeah, th thanks for the question. Um, look, in terms of the, the WIC and Oz growth, focusing specifically on that, um, it, was a, it was a great deal for us. It, we, it generated accretion to our net tangible assets around, I think it was a 3 to 4%. Um, and we're always looking for opportunities where we can use the premium in our share price and acquire a listed investment company at a discount because it's accretive for investors. And what that means is effectively your net tangible assets per share will go up. Um, now, in terms of uh, the future, um, given sort of where we are with our profit reserve, I think it would be highly unlikely that we do something of scale of, the, of that size. Um, we probably want to see, um, you know, very strong performance in the market and get that get the share price a bit, a bit higher as well. Uh, but never say never. Um, so, look, Jeff's always on the lookout for, for opportunities to grow. 
And in terms of our, the benefits for our funds are growing is your scale increases and that your importance to brokers and accessing you know, very um, cap, capital markets transactions and so forth, initial public offerings, it, it increases. So that's really the main reason. And as a shareholder, you, you get accretion or an uplift in your net tangible assets, which is, the main, which is really the, 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 the main reason. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, we'll go to you now. This one's from Arthur. He says he read out July NTA announcement and he saw that the portfolios outperformed. He's asking how you went over reporting season. Yeah, thanks, Arthur. Look, um, uh, it hasn't been an easy reporting season. I think for a lot of the companies, um, for the share price to go up uh, on the day, you have to tick more boxes. Um, and um, the cost of a mistake, you know, the magnitude of the share price decline um, if a stock um, uh, missed market expectations has been pretty large. Uh, and it's complicated by the fact that in July, the small cap index rallied really hard. So working was a little bit challenging, but I think it's fair to say as a team, um, you know, we're all you know, quite pleased with the performance of all of our funds uh, over, the, um, over the reporting season in, in August. Thanks, Tobias. Oscar, this one's from Janet, who says you paid a special dividend for WAM microcap for the last four years. Why not this year? Yeah, thanks, Janet. And I'll, um, you know, I'm sure the, the board talked about this extensively in the board meeting. Um, when when we um, launched WAM microcap, we really wanted to restrict the size of and it's fair to say, if you look at the performance since inception, I think it's probably outweighed our um, expectations. And, you know, we're very extremely pleased with our performance. And the market also went up quite a lot through that period. So those first four years, yeah, we did reward shareholders with a special dividend. That restricted, that made it the size of the fund come down. But we, I guess we wanted to do it in a situation when the market was positive and our performance was positive. Now, this year, our performance was good. Um, we outperformed, but the portfolio was down considerably. Um, so we're in that situation uh, to not pay a special dividend. Now, going back to slide three, and I, obviously I, I talked about WAM capital in that um, at the start of the presentation quite extensively. Now, the actual WAM microcap is the total opposite. Um, we do we have had a good July and August in, and September in the fund. Um, so we have added to the profit reserve. So it'll be a board decision. We paid five, uh, two. We paid ten cents in total last year, but as you can see, there is there is quite substantial room with the profit reserve. So it'll be a board board decision, um, and we'll wait and see what they think. Thank you, Oscar. Uh, an interesting one from Alan for you. Does WAM see investment opportunities in Australian offshore wind farms? Oh. Um, <laughs> We'd like to, but I'm just thinking like, oh, I don't know. Oh, good one. Yeah, international wind farms, Asia. So we've got uh, uh, offshore wind farms. So we've got a big holding in. This is probably one of our best stocks, really. About we probably should have put uh, done this one. So the Great Mermaid Marine ticker is MRM. So these guys, it's it's. If you have a look at the history of the business, it's, it's been one of the, probably one of the worst stocks on the ASX. I'd probably say um, it's had two. Um, capital raising to save the company in the last 10 years. Uh, but what, what does it do? So it provides um, offshore vessels or call it tugboats. That's probably the easiest way to think about it um, for offshore oil rigs or uh, for offshore drilling. For times gone up. 
The outlook for Mermaid Marine is very, very strong from an oil and gas perspective. But this is the part that we like to stop for is that in that period, you know, since the last oil and gas upturn, you've had this huge boom in offshore wind farms, particularly in Southeast Asia. And these guys are doing a lot of the work there. It's about 40%, I think, of their revenue at this point in time. I don't think the market knows this. It's about 40%. Um, but what's more important is the work they actually do for these wind farms is actually more intensive. So they get more revenue than what they do in the oil and gas. So we really like this company trading at a 20% discount to its net tangible assets. It states trades it on an earnings multiple of EBITDA of 10 times. If you put that on the Mermaid Marine uh, share price, I think you'd get, I think the share price would more than double. Um, really good management team. Uh, so, yeah, we really like that one. And it's one we visited uh, in, in Singapore. Singapore. Yeah, good we, point. Um, you know, c- conducted the young ground research. Training. Yeah, and a good point on that, actually, we talked about a lot, but we saw this company probably um, to see how they were going. I reckon we're probably the only fund in Australia that bothered to do that. Um, and we do that, and that's the strength of the model because we see a lot of companies, and we feel that what we're really good at is, you know, see them, it's really bad, it's really bad, it's really bad, it's really bad. All oil prices going, oh, yeah, we're starting to see an uptick and, and so forth. And when we do the work and we look at the balance sheet, things are getting better, and we feel like we can get these opportunities earlier than our competitors can. So, I mean, that's a great example of really like a, you know, a classic Wilson Asset Management stock, really. Um, but look, we'll see how the oil, how the oil prices go and, and so forth. But yeah, we really like that business. Thanks, Oscar. Thanks, Tobias. Sam, would you be able to give detail while why Wham sold down its holdings in Ridley, given that Wham was so confident in it uh, just as recent as three months ago? It was my fault. That's why we sold. <laughs> <laughs> Not Sam. I'm, I'm happy to answer that one, Oscar. I'll, I'll give it a crack and then pass it over to you for sure. But um, thanks, Camilla. I think it's really interesting, Ridley. Like we were, we were looking at the share price at a dollar ten, dollar twenty, and we we started buying it in the funds at that point in time, and we were in, incredibly confident and still are in in the outlook for the business. You know, Quinton has done an amazing job t- turning around that one sleepy business into a shareholder return machine. Um, from our perspective, Ridley had really outperformed the market. All of our our core bread and butter stocks like consumer discretionary and the like in housing stocks had really underperformed on on the concerns of the macro and Ridley had actually gone up. And so on a relative performance basis, we saw an opportunity to lighten, not exit, but lighten the position and reinvest those proceeds back into companies where we saw much more attractive relative valuation opportunities. Now, um, Ridley's gone on to bigger and better things, like we still hold um, a position now. But actually, fortuitously, after we um, initially ceased our substantial holding, which I'm sure you're referring to, there was a big um, media beat up about the risk of foot and mouth disease in, in, um, in Australia. And that gave us the opportunity in the room to buy the stock back around $1.40, $1.50. So, you know, we're, we're really comfortable um, with the position in the funds, both funds that it's in at the moment. Um, and it's a hold for us. So, yeah, sometimes, I, as I said before, like our strength is seeing a lot of companies. Sometimes our weakness is selling companies too early, and that was all my fault, really, really. Um, but it hasn't really cost us much. We still have a, a, a great position in the, in the stock, going a lot higher. Great management team, as Sam said. So, yeah, we still really like it. 
Thanks, Oscar. Thanks, Sam. Oscar, this one is from Elise. She's asking if there are any opportunities you're seeing in the unlisted space. Well, I don't know if there's many opportunities in the unlisted space at the moment. Uh, there will be, though. And to be fair, like it'd be a good time to have a look at pre-IPO companies because there won't be much demand there. But we haven't seen a new pre-IPO come across our desk really since, I reckon, January, February. Um um, so here's six months ago, we would have talked about Iris Energy, which was the, the Bitcoin miner that was quite a substantial holding in, in our fund. Yeah, the market uh, situation didn't help the company. They've actually performed well over this time, but the, the you know, listed in the NASDAQ back in November, uh, shares have been slaughtered, I think it's fair to say. Um, we were able to sell um, a lot uh, when the escrow period ended in May. Um, I can remember it because we were, Will, who's on the call today, stayed up all night um, and we were chatting to each other at 2am and we, we sold quite a handful of shares. It was about US $6.70 a share and I think today it's about $4. So we, we've basically sold all our holding. We do have a tiny little bit because the share price or the market capitalisation is now less than what they have in cash. Um, and they've actually performed really well. It's just the Bitcoin price has fallen so much. Um, so that that's now very, very small. It's no longer a pre-IPO investment, but it's listed. It's a very small position. The next position I, I should talk about is expansive. These guys, this is the Carbon um, carbon Credits trading platform. We've been there for just over a year and a half, I think. Um, they tried to IPO uh, in the June quarter. Given the market conditions, they pulled it. But pleasingly, Blackstone, which is a large private equity company, one of the largest in the world, has taken uh, took an equity stake in the business to allow it to do the acquisition. And it's actually valued the company at US $1.5 billion. So we've actually enjoyed an uplift in the, in, in the valuation that we had in Expansive because um, we pre previously, well, the first tranche to invested in was, was valued at US $300 million. So that, that's Expansive as it stands today is is... I would get our pre-IPO exposure is probably is around four percent of the fund. Expansive would be half of it. Um, so we've got the, the in microcap that is, and in the remaining two percent of the fund, we've got a um, number of smaller. There's about four or five um, pre-IPO investments that are all doing well. We also had two exits through the period, which is open markets and superhero. Um, but look, it's a very tough market for pre-IPO investments right now. Um, but we will be looking, uh, but it will have to be compelling for us to, to participate. Thanks, Oscar. And just going back to touch briefly again on takeovers, Ray has noted that over the last few years, WAM has bought a number of other funds and he's asked if this has impacted uh, the profitability of WAM Capital. Um, well, it wouldn't have. Okay, so when you look our annual report. It's a nonsensical number because effectively, as you would have seen in an annual report, we we generated a big loss after tax. That's just because the portfolio has gone down. You would have seen the year before in FY21, we would have had a gigantic profit. So that's just the unrealised gain and loss of of, of, of the profit and loss statement, let's call it, or the, or the, or the profit of the, of the company. What you really need to look at is the net tangible assets, and that's what you should be evaluating the share price versus the net tangible assets. Now, when we go into an acquisition, so we can 
creative way to increase your net the net, the net tangible assets. So in the net tangible assets by obviously our performance, but secondly by acquisitions or creative ways like that, and that's a benefit to shareholders. So that that's rather than look at the the profits per se, that's what you should be looking at the net tangible assets. Great, thanks, Oscar. I'm actually just going to pass back to you for any closing remarks for the call. Well, that was a great call. Thanks for all the questions. There was a lot. Um, but, look, please, if there's anything we've missed, uh, yeah, last thing to say, thank you very much for your support. You know, it's been, a, it's been a rocky ride over the last 12 months. But as I said, we're very confident in the portfolio. The team's doing a fantastic amount of work. We're doing, seeing a lot of companies are on the road, as we said earlier. Um, but, yeah, look forward to catching up um, at uh, in November. I, mean, I think we're doing Bolt again. So, no, thanks again for your support. And please, uh, yeah, any questions, let us know. Thank you.